Okay, so we are six days away from Christmas and counting, at least on the day this is being released. And for some reason, today's guest reminds me of a story we often hear around this time of year. You know, the one about some hooligan kidnapping the baby Jesus, figurine out of a public manger scene, and then all of the brouhaha that ensues. Who stole Jesus? Well, that's the question we'll be tackling today on the Isle of Misfits. Not about the baby in the manger, but who stole Jesus and how do we find him? So stick around and find out. I love talking to real people. I mean, I guess, okay, I, I guess unless they're made of wood by a guy named Geppetto, that means everyone, because we're all real boys and girls. We're all flesh and blood and whatnot. But I think you know what I mean. I'm talking about the kind of real that comes from knowing that the person you're talking with seems comfortable with who they are. And somehow that gives you permission to be comfortable in your own skin as well and real. So today, my misfit friends, just from reading some of the stuff she's written, including her new book called Stolen Jesus, I am so excited to have a real chat with the real Jamie Amarin. Welcome to the Isle of Misfits, Jamie. Thank you so much. And can I just say, your name is awesome. I love it. <laughs> Isle of Misfits. I feel like I've just landed on my my mothership. <laughs> oh, and I am so, it just warms my heart to no ends to hear you say that because this is a place, it's a, it's a, it's a clarion call to all square pegs, which really <laughs> includes all of us at one time or another, right? So, um, yeah. so I'm glad you're on board with it. So, um, so Jamie, I'm, I'm going to give, you know, a little bio on you. I'm, I'm lift, actually shamelessly lifting this from another <laughs> website. Um, uh, I think from Scary Mommy, this is what they wrote about you. And I, I love their bio. It says, Jamie Amarin is a wife and mother to anywhere from six to eight children. Maybe you can, you know, help us narrow that down. Um, she and her husband are active foster parents and advocates for foster care and adoption. You have a blog called Sacred Ground Sticky Floors. It's fun. It's inspirational. It's filled with utter lunacy and a dash of hope. You hold a degree in family and consumer sciences, and you can cook just about anything. But I hear we're not supposed to ask you how to sew. So we can, we can talk or not talk about that depending, you know, what, what <laughs> went. and you hold a master's degree in education, counseling, and human development. So, um, yeah. So for somebody that feels like a misfit, misfit, yeah. For someone who can't pronounce misfit, that's, that's a pretty impressive list. So, um, where shall we start? Um, well, six to eight kids, I guess, cause you brought that up and okay. we actually have six, four biological, two adopted sons. Our first adopted son is Sam and um, he is about to be six. And then our second adopted son um, was our first foster placement, Charlie. And we adopted him last year at Halloween. Um, at the time that that bio was written about me, um, we had seven. We had a sweet little girl, Joy Baby, that we had for um, 18 precious months. And um, she returned to her restored mama um, earlier this year. And so we actually are currently on respite from foster care. We've just moved to the Houston area. And it was it's hard. I am a, such an advocate for foster care. I love it. It is my heart. I miss it. But right now we are healing from um, what was a very long and hard road. Oh, for sure. For sure. And, you know, you, you do hear so much about, you know, respite, right? Because I know part of part of what you did, you provided respite care, which I understand is, you know, it could be a day or, or several weeks, but sometimes respite needs to be a season, you know, for you to recalibrate. 
Yes. Well, I think, yeah, I think it's important to say that, you know, um, respite care, they, they say respite care is um, like a respite foster baby, but more, more often than not, it's respite for recovery for foster families. And um, it's a it's something that I would love to promote more just because I think there's a lot of people that can't fathom, like myself, couldn't fathom going through some of the things that we've gone through. And then the Lord showed up and took us through it and we're okay. And we grieve um, safely in his arms. But, um, you know, the idea that there, there are people that would like to be involved in foster care. And I tell them, look into respite because, you know, you have somebody at your church that's a foster family that needs a night out or needs to go on vacation or just needs a break or um, some help. And, and there, there are other ways to be involved in foster care besides just being foster parents. And respite care is definitely, I think, um, something dear to me um, because it, it allowed us to um, open our home to to friends that were foster parents that, that needed help. And when it's in smaller segments, I think it makes it easier for people to vision that more long-term or that being a part of their lives. Yes. So. Oh, definitely. And, you know, the good news is uh, at least where I live and, you know, the circles I've kind of been traveling around, I see a movement among churches providing support to foster families, whether it's material support, like you said, respite care, or or becoming a foster parent yourself. There's there's a variety of ways to get oh, involved. Yeah. So I think um, that's awesome. Yeah. I always tell people, um, a casserole is my love language. So <laughs> if you want to bring that was my next question about your cooking. So okay, yes, good segue. Yeah, I love to cook, um, and I love to bless people with food, and I love. And when we were in foster care, there was nothing that spoke to my heart more than when somebody would bring us dinner. It was just Mm -hmm. such a huge relief. And um, right now, um, we've completely gotten away from using any flour because our oldest daughter was just um, diagnosed with celiac disease. And um, it's actually, for me, in a lot of ways, it's fun to kind of explore new ways of doing things um, and keeping my family healthy. But I do love to cook. And um, I do love to bake, but I kind of, um, I guess you could call it respite or in recovery from baking. So (laughs) I'm not doing a lot of baking right now. It's just um, for health reasons for myself and for my daughter, it's just not on the menu. Right. Well, and this is actually a great season to take a respite from that. No pressure, right? Because, okay, no, I'm off. I'm off the Christmas cookie train. And you know what? I think that's a-okay. Yeah, well, it's actually funny because um, I'm actually not eating any sugar or any flour. Oh, and God bless I, you. I want to be you. Well, hey, I'm in, I'm on day six, but um, my husband said, you know that we have to take baked cookies to Charlie's school, and I was like, okay, and he's like, I'm going to bake them, and I said, okay, and then he kept, kept warning me, they're still in the kitchen. I was like, I'm not going to lose my mind and go in there and just start garfing down cookies. Um, so it's a choice, and I'm okay. And he's like, if you're sure. I'm like, I'm sure. <laughs> it's okay. Oh, that's... <laughs> like I was a recovering drug addict, but it actually hasn't been I am been impressed. So, and <laughs> yeah, and you, you've maintained your sanity, and everybody, every everyone's still happy, and like, no, uh, yeah. 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 I, I tell my, I actually um, love to talk about health and wellness, because I used to be well, and then I wasn't, and mm. um, so I don't mind being pretty candid about that, and I think that there's... Um, one of the most important ways to deal with any letting go of something or struggling with something is to remember that all things are permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Yes, and, love you know, that scripture. Yeah, so when I the cookies were baking and I could smell them, I, I just kept reminding myself, you know, I can have those. I can have as many as I want, and there's no condemnation in Christ, and He will still love me. However, 
I know that the flower's not good for me, and I know that right now I'm in a season where um, God has asked me to, to lay that down, and I've done it. So um, it, it, it's a completely different mindset. Um, I- yeah, I love that mindset because it's it's you're giving yourself permission. You know, I'm not I'm not I'm not forbidding, but this is yeah, this is a choice and and I love that because maybe I love it because I'm a little bit of a rebel. So I hate even telling myself no. I hate telling mm-hmm. myself I can't do something. Yeah. Automatically I just want to do it. But but I love that that scriptural mindset that you know what? Hey, you can do this. It may not be the best thing. So, hey, it's up to you. What do you want? You want what's best or do you want what's uh what feels good right now. Right. And I think it's important too. like, and people say, so you're never going to have sugar again. Well, no, I didn't say that, but I'm not having sugar today. Right. And you know, I'll take each thing. I love to say, you know, let Jesus be Jesus. And then you can have a real relationship with him and a real relationship with him is, you know, moment by moment, day by day going, okay, what is good for this? What is for today? What is for today? What do you and I have for today? And, um, I've fallen more in love with him under those circumstances um, then when he was a taskmaster and I thought I was in trouble and a cookie would push him completely over the edge. And I always do say this too. Mm. I have very low self-esteem except when it comes from to God. And I really do think that he's up there just completely consumed with what I eat. <laughs> oh my gosh, she's completely out of control. You know, people are starving, there's orphans, but Jamie and her Weight Watchers points, I just, I can't take anymore. Right. <laughs> so yeah, um, I think he has a special spreadsheet just for you. Yeah. Right. I know, and I know so many women feel that way. Oh, for sure, for sure. They're the last straw. This will be it for him, you know. Right, okay. So so you kind of, again, once again, congratulations. You segued beautifully. So we've just talked about scorekeeper Jesus. So you, you introduce a lot of a lot of different Jesuses in your book. So I'm going to back up, actually, okay. with, um, there was a, there is a quote, actually, this just summed up so beautifully about how we view Jesus. So this is what you said. You said, maybe for you, like me, Jesus has taken on a personality formulated by internal and external factors, heavily influenced by your wiring, your upbringing, chance encounters with well-meaning humans who are struggling just like you, and occasionally robbing you of the real Jesus in the process. So my question for you is, who is the real Jesus? The real Jesus is everything that he said he was. He came to give us life, peace, joy, abundant. He came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to set captives free. And that is exactly who he is. And letting him be that by not thinking that he's mad, upset, you're his last straw, which actually the the closer that I've grown to him in this walk, the more fascinated I ever believed any of the things I believed about him. And I believed I was constantly in trouble, that I was never enough. And um, that it was... You know, it, it actually is, you know, Jesus plus nothing. And if it was Jesus plus anything, don't you think he would have mentioned that on the mm-hmm. cross? Mm-hmm. And, and especially to the thief on the cross, which is paramount to me. You know, today you will be with me in par- paradise. There was nothing left for that man to do. Nothing. He couldn't go adopt. He couldn't take casseroles. He couldn't go volunteer at the church. He couldn't. There was there was no tithe to pay. There was nothing left to do but say yes to Jesus. And you were with me. And um, we added to the cross. We just keep adding to the cross. It's the cross plus. You have to do this, this, and this, and this. And um, turned him into this taskmaster. And um, I think the the more this has gone on, the the more I'm drawn to him in in this light. And this is 
continually shown to me, I'm a, I'm a pretty good mom. I'm not great, but I, I want my kids to have good things. I want to take care of them. And it's like when Maggie found out that, um, our oldest found out she had celiac disease, you know, to what lengths was everyone in this family willing to change everything about how we did to protect her and make her well and safe. And I remember when I found out I had thyroid disease, um, writing in my journal, I am so sorry that, um, I've let you down. I'm so sorry that, that it's been brought to this. I was apologizing to him, thinking that he'd done it to me in order to teach me some harsh lesson. And mm. I, I mean, I, I look at that journal entry and just go, if Maggie wrote that letter to me, I would be devastated. If Maggie thought I did this to her, that I made her this sick on purpose, how would I feel about that? And um, I'm undone by that, that we actually, and, and that is one of the things I, when I, when I say, um, we steal Jesus from people. It's stuff we say, you know, at our worst, um, at a funeral I was at for my brother-in-law. Somebody said, well, God must be trying to teach you something. And I remember thinking, yeah, yeah, he must. I mean, I need to be really careful. I need to, you know, try harder. Well, what? Why would he kill my brother-in-law to teach me something? Mm-hmm. Kill me. You're going to kill somebody. He didn't, you know, I mean, it made no sense. But we get into the habit of, with, which is another one of my favorites, is if, then Jesus. If I do this, then he'll do this. Mm-hmm. And if I don't do this, or if he does something that I, or something happens in my life, you know, what was the if I missed? How did I mess up that then he had to have this horrible thing happen? Right. Instead of him just being a comforter and healer and good father. And he, he calls himself good father, and he can't be both. He, he can't be both vindictive and nasty and good. He's just good. You know, I, I think there's a subtle, and maybe not so subtle, but very important difference. You talked about, well, maybe God's trying to teach you something. Well, you know, the truth is God is always speaking to us. We don't always know what he's saying, or sometimes, you know, it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to hear for whatever reason. But the fact that he's always speaking to us, I, I think you put your finger on it quite nicely that that doesn't necessarily mean he's got this this punitive lesson for us. Well, this is this is what's going on, and it's hard, and I just need to let you know that you need to shape up. You know, I'm yeah. I think it's a given. You know, it's like okay, yeah, we're not holy. That's the whole point. You know, of life is is to know him, not to be better. You know, better Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts, but to know him. And we can well, only know him when we hear him, because even you know, even in the hard things that he tells us. That's the beauty of it. That's when you know he's speaking and not just, you know, chastising us for the sake of chastising. It's, it's his kindness, even if we need to change our ways, right? The, doesn't, doesn't the Bible tell us it's his kindness that leads us to change our ways? It leads us to repentance. So that's, that's, the, that's the Jesus that I think you're talking about that we don't always get to because of all of these layers of, of like you said, our wiring, our upbringing, our, the baggage that, that we carry with us throughout our lives. Um, I, I love... You talked about your your own personality type, and um, I love how you defined it. You said, you know, you're a type, you're an A-type personality with type C tendencies, and and yeah. I just, yeah, I just got to tell you, I like to think of myself as a type A wannabe in a type B body, yeah. which means I stop and smell the roses, but I always feel a little guilty about it, yeah. you know. So, so, so yeah. So, so talk a little bit about that. So, you know, there is a real Jesus out there. He's in the Bible. So here's the next question. Let's dive in a little deeper. Is it possible to even know who this Jesus is? And, and if so, how? How do we get to know him? Well, I think for me, it, like I said, was looking at it from a parenting point of view, how well we parent. And some of the, the thoughts that came to mind in 
as, as I was unpeeling this, I guess, onion, you know, because it kept getting deeper and deeper and deeper was the have tos. What do my kids have to do in the morning when they wake up to be my child? Like when they come downstairs for breakfast, what do they have to do for me to acknowledge them as son or daughter? And there's nothing. We can have a bad day before we, and I mean, really bad day before, you know, a police station visit or an emergency room visit or whatever, a really bad day. The next day when that child wakes up, even if I am concerned or not real happy with them, they're still my son or daughter. And, and I never really believed in that birthright as far as um, my relationship with God. And so when I when I was unraveling this, which I, I raised my first batch, the the four originals, very steeped heavily in law and the stuff that we had to do, and we were good at it. I mean, we were busy bodies. You know, got up at 5 a.m. and we're actually 4:30 and drove to 5 a.m. track practice and for homeschool, and then we went home and we did lessons and we wore uniforms and then we praised the rosary and then we did this and we did this and this and this and this, and then on the way back into town for swim team at night, we'd pray the rosary again, and I had literally a laminated checklist of things that I had to do. So when I was writing the book and started this unveiling of, of Christ's true character, I was talking to um, my two oldest, Maggie and John, and um, I said, you know, what I've missed out on is relationship because I was so steeped in the religiosity and the walk of that. And I said, if I told you guys that every single morning you had to meet me here at 5 a.m. at this table and we were going to go over some scripture and we we're going to discuss everything that you'd done wrong, everything you'd done right, and then you could ask me for something um, that you needed. And I may or may not give it to you depending on how I felt about the things that you'd done and hadn't done. And if I hadn't, I might sprain your ankle. Would you? How eager would you be to meet with me? Oh, sign me up for that. Yeah, you know. And you talk, actually, I, I underlined and I wrote this down, another quote of yours, you talked about that we've made it more habit than relationship. And mm-hmm. that is quite profound because, yeah, healthy habits are good. And yes, discipline is good. And I think we all kind of ride that that um, teeter-totter or, or I don't know if teeter-totter is the right analogy, but, you know, maybe it's more of a balance beam. Okay, yeah, we need some healthy habits, but is that the same thing? as relationship. What happens when you fall off the balance beam? Are you out of relationship? Yeah. And it, if you think about even in a healthy marriage, you know, is, is, is there any, and I mean, it's as far as even intimacy, is it only on Tuesdays that we have, you know, this time together or, and if we miss it, is it all over with and we have to start over, which is another thing I, I did with God all the time is start over. Mm-hmm. You know, or if, if you have, um, in your relationship, you know, if, and, and so go as simple as coffee. So my husband and I are going to have coffee every Wednesday morning and go over this, this, and this about the kids and the budget and these kind of things. And if we miss that, because one of us has a cold or a meeting or something like that, do we start over? And it's that starting over process, I think, with women that's, that it's almost like a diet. Um, you know, well, I messed up, so now I have to start over. Right, back at, yeah, back at yeah. zero. Yep. Back at zero and, you know, this repentant. And, and that is, I think, so true with um, the um, story of the prodigal son. Because we keep treating ourselves like this prodigal son that has to go back and start all over when it's something so trivial that it, it, it's not even on the radar, such as, you know, like overspending. Okay. And so we start, oh, I'm never going to do that again. I'm so sorry. I'm this and this and this and this and this. And is, is there ever a time in a relationship with 
you know, your children that you have to start completely over rebirth and completely start over. That's not a relationship. That's a task list. If you think that you're going back to the beginning, instead of counting all the progress in between and all the dear moments in between. And I I feel like that's a huge part of what I was missing is dear and tender moments because I really did think I was a in trouble and B he was teaching me some harsh lesson. And, you know, my husband and I love our kids. And if, if we have a lesson that our kids need to, to learn, more than likely it's going to be natural consequences. You know, these are the natural consequences of, you know, staying up too late and texting on your phone. I'm sorry you can't have your phone. But we're not going to break their leg or give them a brain tumor or kill their best friend or any of these things that we set up scenarios in our head that, oh, God must be showing you something. Okay, he cannot be a good father and do those things to you. Those things happen. Those things are going to come along. And he said he came to bind up the brokenhearted. He's a God of restoration. Until we start believing that he's a God of restoration, I don't think we ever really get to know him at all. And when we are falling into the arms of a loving father, and I I did this after Joy Baby left quite a bit. And and I did it in my car the other day, actually. Okay, I'm going to try not to cry. Mm -hmm. But I was sitting in my car, and, and I opened my phone because... Sophie texted and she said, I need a picture of da-da-da-da-da for a project. I was waiting for somebody. and I So I opened my phone and I started scrolling through to find this picture. And the first picture that popped up um, in Sophie's folder was a picture of her and Joy Baby. I was alone and I just went, this hurts. This hurts so much. I miss this person. I miss her so much. I don't regret doing what you asked me to do. I love her. I love you, I miss her, and I need to be consoled and just held. And it was different than any other season in my life as far as grief goes. I knew it was okay to fall apart. It wasn't a lack of my faith. It wasn't a doubt in who he was. It was a genuine breakdown in my, I was hurting. And I waited, and I cried, and I lamented to him the sadness, and then it was peaceful. It, it it wasn't like dreading the next time that it happened, which is another thing I used to do, is dreading grief. It was like, okay. You know, it was like a, almost like a hug, um, mm-hmm. like I would expect from my earthly father or from my husband when, when something really hurts. Yeah, and like you said, it's it's not a checklist. And I think even even in grief, sometimes we can treat it like a like a checklist, right? Yes. So we so something happens, I feel sad. Okay, what you know? Why do I feel sad? What to, what did I do? What could I have done to not feel sad? Or, or all the things, all the scenarios we go over in our mind, which can bring us to regret or whatever. And all the while, it's like God is present in that moment if we would just turn to Him and not try to dissect our lives so much, you know. Even even when there might be a wise, you know, it's hard to get to what's really going on in our hearts when we're always going through the checklist. Right. And, you know, if we're if 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 I had sat there in that moment and, you know, checked my own belly button, well, this is where we messed up. This is where we went wrong. This is what we should have done. This is this is this is this is then that grief continues and it's depressive and it's sickening and it and it never changes. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, as far as society goes, people don't they like a sad story with they like a sad story with a happy ending. As mm-hmm. somebody said to me one time, um, you you know you'll never be a New York Times bestseller because your story's not sad enough. And maybe that's true. Wow. 
but and maybe it is true. Maybe I, I need some horrific thing to happen. But for me, this is sad. This is my sad thing that's going on right now. And this is my father. This is my comforter. And we're living in a, you know, fix it society. Um, you know, hurry up and get over that and move on to the next thing. When when grief is a celebration of a loss that's that's worthy of of the time and effort that you put into it to rest with Jesus and let him heal you. And so I I always hated grief. I hate the idea of grief. I have a son that's a marine and somebody sent me this thing the other day, this whole big display about and my son's safe. So let, let me be clear on that, but you know about a friend of their son being brought his body being brought home and I was instantly just panic stricken. I can't, I, I couldn't live like this. I'd die. Da, 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 da. And then I was like, no, you know, I, I would have to go through that season with Jesus. That's all there is to it. There's no point. And, and we, I think we worry so much about grieving that that causes our anxiety. And then when we're in grief, we so want it to be over instead of in some ways enjoying it in some ways knowing, you know, this is the season that I'm in and I have this loving father and I get to be with him and I get to be this close to him because he cares this much about me. And there's no rushing through it. It's, it's, it is hard and it is sad, but he is a true comforter and a true father. And I am undone by that. I'm undone by his goodness. And I did not believe these things about him even a year and a half ago. You know, what I find remarkable when you your definition of grief, I, I just wrote that, I wrote this word down as you said it. It's, it seems like a counterintuitive word, but you said the grief, it's a celebration in many respects because you're celebrating that relationship, that life, that, you know, what, what was, what was so special about it. And I think that's very, very important to acknowledge that because the, the reason we grieve is because there was something good, right? It was something, hey. something worth celebrating and something was, that we're yeah. missing. Yeah, and we he created these things in us, these emotions in us. And I think grief is the one that we stuff, you know, chin up, don't cry, don't let him see you cry, you know, be strong, be all these things. And I, rem- I actually remember when we were um, in court and um, Joy Baby's mom came over to hug me. We were both sobbing. And the caseworker said, um, do you want to bring her? Or do you want me to come get her? And my oldest daughter, Maggie, looked at her and said, you come get her and you take her. And just very protectively, like, and she even stepped in between us. You will come get her. You will take, you need to take her. And my mom is not okay to drive. And I remember just instantly thinking, yeah, it's okay for me not to do everything and be everything. It's okay for this, this step, for somebody to step in on my behalf. And I mean, I, I, still have it in my mind so clearly as he, he went, I'm going to take care of you. You know, I'm going to take care of you. And, and when I grieve her, I rejoice at the same time because there, there is restoration there, but it's not because he was for joy baby's mom and against me. He was for all of us. He was for all of us, us being restored and all of us being drawn to him. And, it, it's so dear to me, but this season is dear to me, you know, and we marked the two year anniversary of the first day that we met her three days ago. And that's dear to me. And it's sad. And I loved well, and now I grieve well. And as mothers, I think that we, it's sad that we need permission to do that. But if you birth a child or, or nearly birth a child, even in miscarriage and stuff like that, you loved well, grieve well, grieve like you loved with passion and, you know, I think that there would be so much more healing and so much more 
nearness and dearness to Jesus if we didn't analyze our grief as something um, as a punishment or you know horrible lot that we've been dealt, but just this season where he's going to treat us as his baby girl and love on us. Oh, I absolutely agree with that. You know, and it goes back to really how I introduce you. It's about being honest in his presence. You know, someone recently asked me about um, what what prayer is like for me. And I said, you know what? I, I love, I would love to say it always brings me this centeredness and peace and joy. But sometimes it's awful because I have to be honest, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's But something awesome happens when I get brutally honest in the presence of God. There is healing and something bigger than me in that moment. And if I, if something needs to be changed, God's love and mercy changes me, not my own resolve. Well, I got to do a better job. And I think that's what happens when we, when we step outside of that and try to try to make our own peace. You know, you, you talked about your grandma Jean, right? You know, and you said the things that brought her some level of peace, right? You know, you talked about coffee or cigarettes or shock treatments or whatever. Those were the very things that made her mad with fear and guilt. And, and I think, I don't think your grandma Jean is unique in that. I think we all do that because the message is Jesus isn't enough, right? If you really loved him, you wouldn't need this or that. Right. You wouldn't need Xanax and you wouldn't need, you know, um, antidepressants. But I mean, I, I, I can't even count the number of women that I know that are so riddled with guilt because they need an antidepressant because the church screams, well, if you were closer to God, you wouldn't be depressed. You wouldn't be sad. You wouldn't be, you know, you wouldn't need these things. Well, who who came up with that horrible lie? You know, I, I'm an, an individual. And if my child is sick and suffering, I give them, or, you know, with a fever, I give them Motrin. I don't question their faith in me. I don't question their faith in God. They got sick. So move on to the next thing. And I think that it's so um, icky to make people think that somehow they are lacking because they need a prescription. <laughs> I just think it's the worst. Now, granted, you know, I mean, if I'm I'm doing something that's harmful to myself that separates me from, from God, by all means, yes. But sometimes there's just no clarity um, until it, and, and maybe we wean ourselves off of those things. Or, you know, I when I started this whole thing, I didn't even own a computer. So this was nowhere on my radar. And I hate to fly. It terrifies me or terrified me. I mean, I couldn't stand it. And that was the only time I took Xanax. And I, I remember somebody said to me, you know, you have faith in God and not in Xanax. I have faith in God and I'm not afraid of dying. I'm afraid of flying. I'm not mm-hmm. afraid of meeting my maker. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid of being caught in a turbulent plane where I have no control. That terrifies me. And he knows that about me. And he would rather me have something that calms me down than be arrested by the TSA. It doesn't make any sense to question that. I and love it, that line in the book. That was great. Yeah, it, so true. It, so true. Yeah, but I did. I And so then on top of the Xanax and the panic of being on a plane, I'd sit there and make myself physically sick, apologizing to God for taking a Xanax. I'm so right. sorry, so sorry, I'm so sorry, right. I'm so sorry. Like this is anywhere even on his radar. <laughs> Of what I've just, you know, taken a prescription for so that I can go and speak about him to women that are hurting. Exactly. Yeah. I can't even remember how many times I flew last year and I don't have a prescription for Xanax anymore. And I do have something that brings me peace. But I think that a lot of that comes from where I am in my walk with him. He wasn't going to put me on a plane that, you know, had to take off and reland and take off and reland and almost run out of gas to teach me something. That's just the plane I got on. 
And thank goodness I had Xanax, you know, that, that's all there was to it. And he was with me and he's for me and he never leaves me. He can't be anything but who he says he is. And he said that he was a good father and he is a good father. And I think that's really what we're all, we're all longing to discover that. I think we all, we all want to believe that that's true. And, and the good news is, you know, whether it's like gravity, well, believe it or not, it's, it's there, it's still there. Um, It's, it's our discovery of it that, that I think changes our perception, right? So one thing you talk about is, you know, we tend to define Jesus by the people around us, don't we? You know, mm-hmm. um, you know whether it's Grandma Jean or, or friends that we think are Christians that maybe, maybe not so much. You told the story about, you know, in your, in your, I think, going into fifth grade or what you thought going into fifth grade and meeting people that you thought were Christians and it didn't, it wasn't quite a representation that brought you peace in your heart. I guess I'll put it that way. People have to read the book to get the story. But, you know, but he, so here's the thing. That's true. Like, you know, we're very conscious of it as Christians and the, you know, we, the world or non-Christians. You know, they're looking at us. They're judging, you know, they're judging Jesus by what they see in us. And there's truth in that. But I think it's just as true, even maybe more so for believers. You know, so I guess what I'm saying is when I'm surrounded you know, I, I'm a believer in Christ. I, I live and move and have my being in him. But it's so much easier when I'm surrounded by, quote, good people, right? Mm-hmm. God is good. When I'm surrounded by, by my tribe, right? The, um, then I see that God is kind and generous and patient and mercy, kissing truth and all that. Here's the hard thing, though. What if you're not, what if you're kind of in a desert place and you don't have that tribe around you? Where do you take your cues? Well, I mean... For me, I'm, which people are astounded by this, but I'm actually an, an introvert. So, and I've become more of an introvert um, as of late, but more than anything, just because I don't want to let anybody down and I don't want to be let down. And it's so easy to put in what we can see, feel, touch, smell, taste. Those things um, are so much easier to create a belief system about. Um, but if you're alone, or if you're separated from those things, and, and I, I, I think I said this in the book, maybe it's a blog post, but you know, if the shoe, if the pew is shaken, you and Jesus should still be okay. Mm. He, your relationship with Jesus can't be contingent on the pastor. It just can't because that, that he's a man. He'll let you down, you know? So I think that it's actually important to remember that that place of solitude and then have the other things as an addition and more, I think in our society, you know, this is how we do church in the United States. This is what it looks like. And then the added part is my quiet time. When in, in reality, I think we're so much closer to the cross and so much nearer and dearer in our hearts to him. When our relationship with him alone, even aside from my husband is, is the, the wholeness of my walk with him because you know those things falter those things fall apart people die people cheat people steal stuff goes on he remains he remains exactly the same so i'm i I kind of feel like i didn't answer that exactly in the best way but because no but it's hard for me because i am a a, somewhat of a loner um in that sense I'm, i'm very protective of where i've been and what I thought about him and how many times I was hurt by people and accused him. And, you know, the church let me down 
okay, well, that wasn't him. That was the church. Like, you know, this person let me down. Well, that wasn't him. That was that person. And I think we easily confuse that. It's actually one of the things um, I don't really believe in mentors so much as more partnerships in a lot of ways. And you can have somebody that's maybe more experienced than you, but if you're not walking um, together in something and, and someone's not willing to be completely open and honest with you, that's a quote unquote mentor. I mean, I, I just think you're destined for trouble because that person is a person. And um, so I think anytime that you're in a in relationship, you have to make sure that it's somebody that's being upfront and willing to show, you know, all their bumps and warts. If, if, if you have them on a pedestal, if anyone is higher up to you than God, it just is destined for a mess. Well, I got to tell you, I think you answered that question beautifully because it's it's not an easy question. There's a lot of layers in there and there's there's some irony too, right? Because we are we do as Americans especially, we talk about the need for community, let's be in community, let's do life together, and there is truth in that. So I I don't want to discount that. However, what I hear you saying is I think there there's a you know, if you think of a pyramid, you know, it's it's like we reverse the pyramid and we've put mm-hmm. at the bottom time, you know, the community is is the base. And we've put our time alone with God, the little tippy top where you have fats and oils and, you know, like on the food chart, you know, we put the time alone with God on the top. Okay, I got my 15 minutes of quiet time and now I'm going to do the rest of my life with community. And then and then we do, you know, we, we can get disillusioned. Or, or like you talked about Beth Moore, like, you know, I read this book and it was great. It was Beth Moore, this Bible study. And now I'm thinking about Beth Moore, <laughs> you, know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. you know, so, uh, you know, even Jesus, you know, it, it talks about, I was just looking up this verse in John chapter two, it says, you know, he would not entrust them himself to them for he knew all people. So in other words, he, he didn't really accept their praises and he also didn't accept their criticisms. Not that he didn't love them, but if, if it all rises and falls on what people are thinking or doing, like you said, when that pew shakes, what's going to be left? Right. And, and I think, I think that's so, so very important. Um, you know, and, and again, it's a balance, but it's only something that we can get from, from spending time with him you yeah. know, because he knows what's best for us. We just are so busy and and it's morbid people that I have a controversial post I, I wrote about um, reading the Bible and I mean, people went nuts. So, oh my gosh. But my point was, I wasn't saying don't read your Bible. I was saying you have a Bible. Have you ever thought about that? You have the word, this obsession that Americans have with their Bible the word that that wasn't even that was nowhere on the radar when Jesus was around. You know, he didn't couldn't go flip through his Bible and memorize scripture. He was the word. And yes, we do have our Bibles, but what if you didn't? And that's always my thing is okay, so in worst case scenario, and you know, we're overtaken by Russia or China and they put us in these concentration concentration camps and we have no Bibles, do we still have Jesus? Do we have what's hidden in our heart? Right. We're so tactical in the United States and we're so, we're, we're so used to, this is how you do church. This is how you do worship. This is how you study your Bible. This is the things that you have. Well, okay. You can get a Bible for 99 cents at the dollar store or, you know, that that's readily available to you. What if it wasn't, you know, what is hidden in your heart? And I think that, that, that 
for someone like me that's dyslexic, which I, I said this in this post, I was like, you know, I'm dyslexic. So um, a lot of times I'll count on him to remind me of something that I know I've read or I've seen, but I don't sit and read my Bible or he'll lead me to a scripture or something will show up. And I'm always so touched by this. And I mean, if I had one comment like this, I had 50, you can listen to it on audio. And I was like, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is you know, he. This is a God that that meets a Muslim soldier in a cave, from millions away from millions of people, and still is made known. Do we trust him to make himself made known in any circumstance? And and you know, we can't fathom. We can't fathom what it was like um, to to not have this word in print in our hands, because we've had it. But what if we didn't? Do we believe? Do we believe he was the word? Do we believe that? And I'm, you know, seriously, people go nuts when I say that. I'm not saying to, you know, not have your Bible. I'm saying, what if you didn't? And to the same extent, what if you didn't have your pew? What if you didn't have that building? What if that pastor does lets you down? What if? What happens when those things that we can touch, taste, see, smell, you know, hold on to, make a list of, when those aren't there, is he still? the God of your heart. Yeah. I mean, what I, what I think I hear you saying is you're talking about the accoutrements mm-hmm. of the Christian life. And, and I, I kind of hate to say the word of God is, you know, the Bible, as we understand it is an accoutrement. It's not in the beginning was the word and the word was God and all of that. So yes, that's, that's the foundation. But what I hear you saying is it's the spirit of the law, you know, right? Because there's the letter of the law, there's the spirit of the law, the spirit gives life. And if we're seeking him, that very same word says, if we seek him with our whole heart, we're going to find him. And um, this is this is Isle of Misfits talk. It's not Bible talk, but um, uh, you know, it's one of our core values is to is to seek and embrace beauty. You know, the beauty and truth of the weirdness of life. You know, in other words, it's just what you said. If we're seeking for truth, we're gonna find it. Maybe maybe even in a cave somewhere, or in a you know in a in a brothel, or in a pit, or or anywhere. Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And it's not our conventions. It's not the things, you know, it's not like Peter with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Oh, let's make a tent here and, and make church out of that. It's it's seeking him with our whole heart. So that's what I hear you saying. Yes. Oh, gosh, yes. Yes. And I actually, it's funny because we were having this conversation and um, my, um, when we were unpacking in this house, my son Luke found my Bible that I I mean, it's just tattered. I had it for years. I have it and I'm looking at it. And I remember when I realized that I couldn't use it anymore because it was too badly damaged and falling apart and the pages were coming out, how um, undone I was, how sad I was about it. Um, And then I look at it now and realize that it was a pride issue because it was highlighted and marked, Mm -hmm. you know, all these things that my, my investment in, in that, but those things are with me. If my house burned down, they'd still be in my heart. This is, you know, it is the word of God, but, but in the beginning was the word. And, you know, (laughs) what does that mean? It's, it's, it's more than our Bible studies. It's more than Wednesday night worship. It's so much more than, than, than this checklist. It's, it's a real and loving and good father, God. And um, I, it's not that I don't, I, I mean, I'm looking at it and I have some tender moments about it and stuff as we're sitting here. It, it does have some sentimental value to me, but it's not the word that dwells within me. Right. And okay. So 
as we kind of come in for a landing here, I want I want to I want to land on this because right now I know I know there are a lot of listeners who are on board who are Christian and who might be struggling and wrestling, and this is good. It's a good wrestling thing, but there are also people I know who are listening, who you know for one reason or another are tolerating you know the <laughs> the, the the oh yeah she's kind of religious, but you know I, I like to read because she's funny or weird or whatever. Um, that they're like, what are you talking about? All right. So, and maybe, you know, maybe they're curious about this Jesus or maybe they're, you know, I defy you to prove the existence of God. So I'm not asking you to prove the existence of God, but what I'm asking you is for these people who are not church type people, where do you even start with this whole idea of, okay, someone stole Jesus. Who is the real Jesus and how do I find him? I think actually, if you're not a church people, you might be in luck <laughs> because it's a very organic place to be um, in seeking him and without anybody else trying to explain him to you or shove him down your throat or let you down or tell you what he said or didn't say, but really going and going, okay, Jesus. And that made my heart skip a beat because it's just Jesus. That's it. It's a place of going, okay, Jesus, show up. Because he does. He just will. And I think that it's easier in some ways for people um, that are in a simple place of just whispering his name and then waiting than the task list of trying to figure him out, fit him into our brain. You know, it, I almost get jealous of the idea of having never been let down by some of the, the religious scenarios that, that let me down that I was fooled into believing were Jesus. I think it's as simple as saying, okay, Jesus, show me next. Show me this. Show me you. Be real. Let Jesus, and then my favorite, let Jesus be Jesus. You know, get quiet just for a minute. If you have a Bible, okay, and if you don't, you know, ask him to show you something and then watch and wait um, with great anticipation because I don't believe for a minute that he ever doesn't show up. I mean, I think we talk over him. I think, you know, we bog him down and, and misrepresent him. And I know I've done that too. And for that, I'm sorry. But the simple fact of it, it's, I think it's as simple as starting with even just every morning, if you're not sure when you first wake up, you know, okay, Jesus, show up. And then let him, let him be Jesus. He's so magnificent. And I, this makes my cheeks hurt, but I, 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 I think that, you know, in, in the Bible, it says, you know, go and, and preach the good news. And we get so consumed with that um, idea and so in a lot of ways burdened with it instead of knowing that it, it's in our, it, it's just flow from us. You know, it, it's something that, that I would love for somebody to walk up to me and go, what is it that you have? Um, and I'm, I'm actually blessed in this respect. I, I had someone say that to me. What makes you so happy? Why are you so happy? And it's not my church. It's not my quiet time. It's not any, it's Jesus. Yeah. Because, you know, I can't say this is true for everyone, but I, I know for sure that some people who reject Jesus are really just rejecting, like you said, maybe a, maybe a broken, flawed representation from a broken, flawed person who's had their own, you know, baggage. So I, I love, I love that advice to just be open, you know, to be open to hearing and seeking. If, if, Jesus, if you really exist, then yeah, you got to show yourself because yeah. we can't we can't conjure him up, you know. We can't uh, make a, a little potion and poof, there he is. It's he either shows up um, or he doesn't. But but when we seek him, he does show up, mm -hmm. and I think that's what it boils down to. 
He does. And I, I mean, I, I say this, um, I think in our society, we see so much of this stuff playing out on social media and, you know, people, I hate Christians or, you know, right. these different things. And, um, it's sad and it's hard, but sometimes I, I really feel like, you know, just his name, you know, Jesus, take, take this, Jesus, be with me for this, Jesus, show up and then letting it go and try to just make something happen or make it look like the lady across the street that has such an amazing relationship with God and, you know, trying to make something happen instead of letting him just be. Right, right. So Jamie, how can people get your book? Um, it's on Amazon, it's in Barnes and Noble, and you can actually go to sacredgroundstickyfloors.com and I have a book page. Um, I heard it's in Sam's Club and maybe, right. yeah, you know, it's around. <laughs> it's there. It can be yeah. found people. Yeah. So let's, yeah, so give us your, your website, your blog, one more time. Okay, it's www.sacredgroundstickyfloors.com. Sacredgroundstickyfloors.com. I encourage you to check it out. It's a great website. I've really enjoyed getting, you know, getting familiar with it. Jamie, I'm just so thankful to have had this chance to chat with you, and um, I just wish you... I wish you every blessing. I know that sounds like a trite thing to say, but I really do. Um, especially, you know, in the season that you're going through right now, it sounds like it's a difficult season, but it's also, it's a sweet season. I can, I can hear it in your voice. So thank you so much for just for sharing a part of that with us today. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. It was fun. You know, listening back over this discussion, it had a lot of unexpected twists and turns, and that's one of the things I love about life here on the Isle of Misfits, because you never know where the conversation's going to go and what little jewels are going to rise up and shine. I think you're going to love Jamie's book, and as she said, you can find it wherever you buy your books, but I highly recommend checking out her website, sacredgroundstickyfloors.com, just like it sounds, where you can find her book and a wealth of so much more. Now, please share this conversation with someone who may need to hear it. And by all means, visit me on the Isle of Misfits. That's I-S-L-E of Misfits.com. If you're a new subscriber, which you can easily do by entering your email on the website, I will enter you in the next random drawing of random awesomeness. And we'll also be doing some exciting things in the new year that I want to involve some of you in. So more on that, TBA. And so, my friends, as always, own your awkward, love your fellow misfit, and... Embrace the weird and beautiful truth.